0: This week on The Reverse Stick We're kicking back on the couch with a good read Author F.J. Campbell joins us to talk about her novel No Number Nine The future of the Olympic hockey on display And uh, it's a big day for us here
1: Rather a big day
0: First Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. My name is John Lee, and this week, in the absence of Matt Allen, is Les Fultz. How are you,
1: Les? Yeah, going very well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on again.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. A lot of people enjoyed your first uh, episode with the Reverse Stick, so we'll be trying every now and then
1: okay. Not too much controversy. Not no. too much, uh, much bull crap. No. no. No, we'll
0: get back plenty of that outcome. Absolutely,
1: guarantee. It has
0: been a big day here in Australia, for people who don't know, it's a Wednesday and it's the 25th day which is Anzac Day, so it's going to be coming, and also a pretty big day for
1: us The, uh, annual Anzac Day clash. The, uh, clash between Fremantle Hockey Club and Old Aquinians Hockey Club at their wonderful facility. Um, and I'd like to report that, uh, although there was a draw in the main game, the 2nd uh, Division did get up and have a 2-1 win So Fremantle 2, Aquinians 1 In the Go you Magpies uh,
0: And you have no association with that 2s team whatsoever, do
1: you? Uh, I'd, I'd have a little bit of association there I'd, I'd try to um, have an input into making the guys perform to their potential um, Which isn't too hard <laughs> with the wonderful group of um, talented young men that we have
0: Oh, you're very good, Liz. It's, that's very good indeed. Uh, we might speak about that a little bit later, but before we do, it's time to get some some of this stuff out. News. And coming up in the... Well, the, the latest that's going on in the world of hockey at the moment is Olympic Youth Qualifiers, or Youth Olympic Games Qualifiers, I should say. And there's a couple of uh, those going on at the moment. One in Oceania, one in Asia, for both men and women. Uh, we'll start with Oceania, because there's some interesting results going on here, Les. Uh, there's only four teams going on uh, competing in both men and women, which is a bit of a surprise, because New Zealand's not there. Uh, OK. A little bit of a surprise they're not at the uh, Youth Olympic qualifiers. They've probably got some very good reasons for not being there. On the uh, the women's side of things, Australia, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands are uh, playing there. Already had a couple of results um, Australia's got 56 goals, four and one against. At oh, two my uh, God. They, they haven't made exactly pretty results, a 31 victory and a 26-0 victory.
1: What are they doing uh, letting in that goal? I, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest.
0: Yeah, it is a Hockey Fives competition and it is under-18s. We will stress that at this point. Um, on the uh, the Met, that was the uh, the women's sorry, the uh, yeah, that was the... Uh, women's side of things, on the men's side of things Australia, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea are playing there again uh, pretty similar sort of stuff going on there, although Australia's only scored 41 goals there in their two games and had two goals scored against them uh, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands have been on the back of uh, sorry, ba- Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea have been on the back end of a couple of big defeats there to Australia,
1: a couple of beltings
0: yeah, but they, they have, Australia hasn't played the Solomon Islands yet they could be a sleeping giant there.
1: You, you just can't tell in this wonderful game of hockey. Sometimes the results don't go your way.
0: They don't. We'll find out more in next week's episode. But that's the Oceania qualifiers. Obviously Australia would be uh, the team that appears to be going through from there. I believe you might have some of the uh, Asian East Olympic game qualifier results there. Because that team's <coughs> got underway. They're only a game or so into that.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of minky results here as well. Looks like uh, Malaysia's got up very close result um, 23-0 over Cambodia I don't know what the Cambodians were doing there I think they uh, got a little bit mixed up between defence and attack perhaps a few issues in the midfield I'm not too sure but 23-0 Malaysia um, and where else am I looking at here Korea Korea have got uh, 11 goals 4-5 against so they had a bit of a belting of Thailand there, 11-5, so another bit of a minky result there. But, um, you know, it's good to see these countries getting out there embracing the wonderful game of hockey. So, you know, they talk about the beautiful game being that other round-ball game, but, you know, I'm a firm believer in hockey is the beautiful game.
0: Absolutely. And you're right, you've got to, you've got to bring all the countries in, and occasionally you are going to get Australia winning games, D nil and 26-0. And we saw it at the 11-a-side version of the recent Oceania Cup in Sydney, but you, you've got to do it
1: you yes. have to have better competition for the weaker team so they know what level they have to strive to attain
0: yeah absolutely and it's those guys that do get thrashed 26 nil when they go back people don't care that they got thrashed 26 nil they all they're worried about is the fact, oh, you went there and you played against this great country. And, you know, the result isn't really as important as the achievement of having done it.
1: No, the achievement to actually be there to play against the best in the world. I mean, they love it. They absolutely love it. So, and it's fantastic. Let's see them strive for the top.
0: And there'll be more youth qualifiers coming up, no doubt. And we'll also talk about Hockey Fives a little bit later because it could be the future of our Olympic movement, Les. There's uh, a couple of things coming up as well. Um, oh before we get yeah, there's a couple of things coming up we've got uh, and I'll have to find this where's that pit of paper gone uh, oh my whole filing system's falling apart now Liz um, we've got the Women's Asian Champions Trophy coming up and this is going to be an interesting tournament it's played in Korea at Dongha City uh, there's five teams competing Malaysia, Korea, Japan India and China that's from the 13th to the 20th of May so not too far away um Interesting because Malaysia ranked 22, but Korea's nine, Japan's 12, India 10, and China's eight. So eight, nine, 10, and 12 playing off there in a little tournament coming into uh, what are going to be um, World Cup finals, etc. Uh, so it should be an interesting competition.
1: Yeah, so these are the teams that are you know basically on the verge of of making those um, World Cup. Games and that sort of thing too. So it's very good to see them competing against each other and learning about each other, so that they can then push forwards to be, um, you know, pushing for spots in the in the top sort of six and eight in the world. I think it's fantastic.
0: And I think if, I'm not sure if we'll get to see a stream of it, but I, I get the feeling it's going to be some very very good hockey. So hopefully. Someone out there from the Asian Hockey Federation is running around madly trying to make sure we get coverage of that tournament.
1: It's really interesting. And it's good fast hockey too, which I really like to see. So it's not always about the possession game, which we've seen through Europe and Australia and a few other countries, but it's fast attacking hockey, which is great to see.
0: And at the moment, there's, there's a little bit of a hiatus almost within the international scene because a lot of club stuff's kicking off at the moment. We've, we'll talk about the English stuff in a second and what's happening over there. but in Europe, that's all going to kick off in May, starting on the 17th of May with the Euro uh, Club Challenge 4. That's for men. That's pl- And it just goes off for the next couple of weeks from there. I mean, they're going to be playing club hockey in Helsinki, in Slovenia, in London, Geneva, in Ghent, Vienna. In Copenhagen, back to Vienna, in Edinburgh, and in Dublin, and at uh, the finals at at, uh, Bloomingdale's home ground in Holland. What a fantastic competition. Mate, and the
1: frequent fly miles, absolutely (laughs) fantastic.
0: (laughs) Well, they don't have to fly that far there, mate.
1: But you still get the miles, don't you?
0: Oh, I hope so. (laughs) you want to get something out of it if you're travelling that far look look, great for clubs though and it's the men's I think it's down to challenge four so there's all strata of competition there and all those sort of qualifiers for these events are, uh, are, for next year are happening now in the countries such as England you know, all those levels are being sorted out and who's going to be playing where And um, I'm really looking forward to it because most of that I think will find its way onto Euro Hockey TV which will be fantastic for us here in Australia because it's played at times time zone where we're not at work
1: exactly exactly we, we can, can actually watch it. yeah we can actually uh, see what's happening over there and see how they're uh, changing the game
0: so that all kicks off around about the 17th of May in England uh, we've got the men's and women's leagues finishing up this weekend and I did print something out about this just a few minutes before you got here and I'll probably promptly oh, here we go thought I'd promptly thrown it away, but it is here. The Investec Women's League Finals are on the 28th and 29th so this weekend. Um, Surbiton, Buckingham, Holcomb and EG will be playing off at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre. Those two, Surbiton-Buckingham first game, that's been played at 3pm local time and uh, followed up at 5.15 by Holcomb and EG. There's also men's games going on. Uh, at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre at the same time. Uh, 10.30 in the morning the men will be kicking off things off with Wimbledon versus Hampstead and Westminster and at 12.45 Surbiton and Beeston and the women will be coming on after that. Uh, the finals will be played the next day, the men at 1.30 in the afternoon and the women at 4pm. So if you're anywhere near the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre in London get down that should be a great weekend of hockey there and good luck to all the teams there's also all sorts of other promotion tournaments going on in men's and women's seven oaks uh oxford uh, university of nottingham oxsted and university of exeter are playing in uh, the men's tournament there for promotion and on the women's side of things uh we've got on the women's side of things beast and slough oh no that's the uh that's yeah Beon Slough, Hampstead, Westminster they're playing, and Stoport, so
1: Stoaport. Some quality hockey, yeah, if oh, you can okay. get along to see any of those games, get along. I saw a little bit of uh, the uh, English hockey around the London area at the end of last year, and I was quite impressed with uh, some of the clubs that are out there and some of the teams, and absolutely fantastic hockey being played.
0: do you got any um, tips for any of those uh, the the women 's League Surbiton, Buckingham holcomb and e g
1: Mate, I don't do the footy tipping because I'm pretty bad at it. So I'd, I'd go with the colours. Who's got the nicest colours? Oh, Anyone in black and white? I don't know. Mm.
0: Whoever's in black and white, we'll just say that. We'll tip
1: whoever's in black and white.
0: Yeah, I think and playing black and yellow. That would make sense.
1: Hmm, that's Western Australian colours, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and bees.
1: And bees, bees. We we'll look after the bees.
0: We do. Uh, good luck to everybody playing there. Um, we've really got no idea who's going to win any of those games.
1: I've heard of one of them, Serbiton. Yeah, well that's the team everybody
0: keeps talking up and I think um, last week when we talked to Jade Bloomfield on the show uh, I think Serbiton was a highly touted team by him, we had a quick mention of it in the latest edition of Hockey World News because they've got a preview of the whole tournament, you can catch that and all the latest other news, Hockey World News type things at their website just Google Hockey World News, you'll get there it's a fantastic magazine. Also what else have we got coming up? Um, Well We mentioned the Euros, we mentioned uh, Hockey England, there's also in Ireland at the moment they've got all of their qualifiers going on for Euro Leagues, uh, for next season, etc, etc Lots of Cups being won at the moment In fact, it's really hard to try and get a grip on anything I know Malaysian hockey's churning out all sorts of stuff at the moment They've obviously got some competitions going there um, I, I don't trust Google Translate. <laughs> it doesn't seem to make sense of it for me. But uh, we'll have to try and get some back on and, and explain what's going on in them in Malaysia because they've got a thriving hockey community. It seems.
1: I've been up there and I've played a couple of times. It's fantastic. So, but wherever you look in the world at the moment, you know hockey's going ahead, which is great.
0: Uh, and it's uh, a strong game. And keep supporting it, folks. Keep turning up and support your clubs. <laughs> Okay, you're listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast, and it's time for our featured interview. And this week, our featured interview is a little bit different. It's sort of a book review. Um, We're joined today by F.J. Campbell. She's written a book called No Number Nine, and it's uh, what I thought at first would just be a story, and it's got hockey in it somewhere. It's actually a a novel where hockey's intricately woven into the narrative. It's, It's part of the book. And it's quite an interesting read. I, I bashed it out over a few nights last week, and uh, I was—I must admit—stunned, surprisingly happy with the results of what her work. It was uh, quite a good read. It's uh, perhaps got some juicy language in it at particular times, but nothing you wouldn't have heard if you hadn't stuck your ear up against your teenager's bedroom while they've got friends around having a little chat and don't know that mummy and daddy's having a listen. Um, Yes, so here's my conversation with author F.J. Campbell about her book, No Number Nine. F.J. Campbell, welcome to The Reverse
2: Stick. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here talking to you from the other side of the world.
0: It's a pleasure to have you with us, F.J. Normally when we're talking to interviewee subjects on this show, we have a scoreline to talk about or we've got a tournament coming up that we can discuss, but this time it's a little bit different because we're talking about a book and it's your book, No Number Nine. (laughs) Yeah, Now, First of all, what was the inspiration for writing this book?
2: Um, Well, I guess, um, as they say, you write about things that you know, but I don't have a particularly exciting life, so I just took a couple of incidents that have happened in my life and um, just made them a load more exciting, just made up a whole load of stuff. Um, And those two incidents were when I was younger. I was an au pair. Um, and I got fired from that job, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I also um, visited Sydney for the Olympics in 2000. Were you so here- I just kind of, a bit, I built a story around those two incidents and then basically all the rest of it is completely made up.
0: So were you here for the Olympics as a spectator or as a, uh, an athlete?
2: i am not an olympic athlete i'm a social level hockey player (laughs) Um, and i always have been um i've had friends who've played at much higher levels but i was there in sydney watching gb men and women playing hockey i also went to rowing because that was when steve redgrave was rowing i went to beach volleyball at bondi Um, What else did I see? A bit of tennis and a bit of athletics.
0: Oh, you got the whole Olympic experience in. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was a bunch of
2: friends and me. Um, Some of them were Australian, some of them were British, and we just went out and had a great time.
0: Now, No Number Nine is a a story of a young girl who's had a a recent tragedy in her life. You could say she's tried to escape that tragedy and, she finds herself in Germany, and she finds herself in the middle of a hockey family. Now, I don't want to give too much away as far as the story goes, because I really think people should read the book. But mm-hmm. um, hockey is not just a, a vehicle for the story; it's an intrinsic part of it, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I there's a there's a bit at the end, and I won't give it away either. But there's a there's a bit at the end where somebody suggests that um, the story could be transported into another uh, another kind of sport um, that it could be uh, written as a story in an, with another sport in another setting but i'm not sure that's true i think that um the the way that the hockey community and the hockey family works is very important to this story um and i i can't give too much away but it's just that feeling that you get when you play hockey and your friends and the parties you go to and the way that everyone is so friendly and welcoming um, to you when you move around the world within the hockey family that was very important to the, to the book.
0: And while it does certainly touch on international hockey and there's some characters drawn from that world, it, it's certainly the, the focus is the club and the club being the hub of all of this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the club in Munich, which is, by the way, a completely made up club. Um, <laughs> I have played club hockey in Munich, but I kind of amalgamated all the different clubs that I knew in Munich. Um, they, it just, it wanted, it needed to be somewhere that was really welcoming and friendly to the main character and some, a place where she could go to almost find herself again, to get over her grief. Um, and to just realise that she was her own person who people wanted to know and not just in the shadow of this terrible thing that's happened to her.
0: Now, speaking of this terrible thing, once again, without giving too much away, it is something that hockey people could very much relate to and as I was read it, I had, it was funny because at the moment you come to the whole tragedy part of it, it was uh, a little tear came out, I must admit. It... it it comes up and shocks you in a way
2: yeah i <laughs> I made myself cry when I was writing as well, and these stories always always make me very very emotional and very upset um I must say, to be quite honest, I was struggling with whether the sad thing that happens should be so directly related to hockey or whether it should be a different kind of accident nothing to do with hockey um and it was a it was a plot line that i i i didn't really know what to do with for a long long time and then i made a decision and um yeah it's really upsetting and um but it is just a story and it's just a part of the plot of the book and i hope this is what i was aiming for anyway i hope that in all, the book is quite uplifting and, and quite a happy story, um, even though it does have this, this terrible thing that happens at the beginning.
0: I think that adds to it as well, because in the back of your mind, you know it's, it's not just something made up by an author. It's, this could really happen. It, it could be a true story.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't base it on anything that has happened in real life. Um, I could never do that. I could never be that insensitive. Um, but, yeah, there are injuries in hockey. There are bad injuries in hockey. Um, and this sort of thing happens very, very rarely, thank goodness. And, yeah, I, I never really wanted it to be um, a huge part of the book.
0: Now, that, there's the hockey side of things, but, of course, it, you yeah, know, I'd I, a novel's not just, uh, one-sided in, in any way, shape or form. You've got a lot of other themes working through the book and the main, main character, Philippa Mitchell, which she's known as Pip throughout the book. She has had a tragic loss. She's, she's run away and the themes are encompassing love and relationships and, and grief and, uh, how, how people respond to grief. They're very strong throughout the book
2: yeah i mean she's a she's a an interesting character because she's um when when the bad thing happened to her she basically just kind of stopped living for two years um and hid herself away and forgot to do anything except for go to school. She lost all her friends um and I think that the important thing for her is that the story begins when she decides to to go and do something and get back her life, um, which the hockey club and the friendships that she makes at the hockey club helps her do. Um, But for me, anyway, I grew up, I had quite a sheltered teenage life. And I do remember this feeling of when I was 18 of leaving home and just feeling like I was just really behind everyone else, not as cool as anyone else. I didn't know what kind of music or films I should watch or books I should be reading and talking about. And I just didn't feel like I was 18. I felt like I was 14 still. And I really wanted to get that across with Pip because she is a very naive and innocent girl. Um And she, yeah, she she quickly learns about how to be a grown-up or to pretend to be a grown-up um in the course of the book.
0: You mentioned earlier, you know, writers write what they know. How much of, of Pip's character is autobiographical, or is it more the feelings rather than the actual events?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really, I just, you've got to kind of, um, you've got to use your own experiences to write from it but she's not me i mean i'm not i'm not half as pretty as she is <laughs> i didn't ever date a uh, an important hockey player like she did Ooh, don't give it away. Um, i didn't i didn't have lots of the experiences that she had it's not she's not me the,
0: do you feel a little bit uh, jealous that she's not you
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I just, you've got, like I said at the beginning, you don't, you, you have your life and you love your life and you don't have any regrets. I I just wanted to make an exciting story and I think that with a character like Pip, you can do it um, because she's got this sadness to her. She's also very pretty. She doesn't know it. Um, and she's just a, a nice person, a kind person who's had a, a bit of a rough life. In lots of ways, so I thought she was interesting. And you can't, you know, you can't say that she's me or she's not me. Of course, there are bits of me in her. There are also bits of people that I know. But um, yeah, that's how it works, I think.
0: Yeah, there's other themes running through the book as well. One that perhaps is uh, buried a little bit, but the the selfish nature of of, a, of elite sport. Very a few of these characters, especially at the end. Once again, try not to give a There's a conversation between Pippin and, and another character, and where they're trying to explain a misdeed away, and their focus had been somewhere else. And this somewhere else is an elite level of sport. And they, throughout the book, the characters are ignoring things in their lives with this focus on on the elite sport that they're playing. <laughs>
2: yeah, good good summary without giving the uh, without giving the plot away. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, hockey is, um it can take over your life, even if you're not an elite sports player. It can take over your uh. life, in, in and that in, that in a good way. You know, the social element of it, the travelling. We all know about the training with three times a week, the tournaments in the middle of nowhere. It's brilliant. It's lovely. And for elite sportsmen and women, it must be a thousand times more commitment and then a thousand times more when there's an Olympics coming up. So, yeah, I mean, I wanted to get across that some of these characters have got bigger priorities than um, than just their personal lives. In fact, somebody says in it, I don't have a personal life. Um, yeah. it's just, it, I hope I portrayed that well without ever having been in the situation of being an elite sports person myself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what hockey's all about. And, and we do it for the love of the sport. Nobody really does it for money, do they?
0: Uh, oh, that's. <laughs> I'm not sure these days, but I think we get into it for our love of sport. That's for sure. Certainly, no one's yeah. playing hockey for money at the elite level.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that's, that was a big element of, of some of the characters.
0: Now, what's the, the target audience for this book? Um, I'm a 50 year old man. I quite enjoyed reading it, but I don't think you were writing for my demographic when you when you wrote the book.
2: No, I mean I think I think lots of different people could enjoy it. I think that um mostly women will enjoy it, um, although I know a few men who, including yourself who've enjoyed it. Um, most of them have said that they wouldn't pick it up themselves, but maybe if they were given it then they would they would have a flick through. I think that age group wise, um, I would definitely say only older teenagers or adults And I think because the main character is an 18 year old woman, it could appeal to 18 year olds. It could also appeal to older women who would like to look back on that stage of their life and are quite nostalgic for it. So I've had, for up until now, I've had uh, advanced reviewers reading it of all ages and both sexes from all over the world and everybody and also non-hockey players have read it and said that they found it really exciting. And I think the fact that the hockey is played at the Olympics appeals to lots of people because the Olympics is a is generally a very exciting event for hockey players and non-hockey players. So yeah, huge target audience.
0: <laughs> no, it is. I, I mentioned to you before we came on that uh, you know my my daughter reminds me or Pip some of the things she says reminds me of a lot of some of the things my daughter would say to me. And um I think yeah that, that sort of age group. The book itself reminded me of um Rumblefish and The Outsiders. I read them at school as a teenager, but they're not the same books, but there's a spirit that runs through both that are very similar.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a coming of age story. It's got um emotions in it that you will remember from that time of your life which was a really exciting time of your life there were new adventures there was leaving home there were it was frightening it was very daunting but it was um, a very cool time to be independent in your life and those books that you mentioned are the classic coming of age stories and this one is a new coming of age story
0: Oh, I, I, I did really enjoy it. I mean, some of the language might be a bit fruity for some people, but, um, I think the concepts are, are just classic concepts that people of that age group are going through. And, you know, it's almost Romeo and Juliet, if you like.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't have a love story unless you have a, um, something in the way of the love. So, um, yeah, it's got, I mean, it's got lots of uh, really, Really exciting things about their age, about the the fear that you have, and the the way that you're basically a lot of people just don't have very much confidence about themselves. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's it's great.
0: <laughs> now, one of the things that interested me as I was reading it was I'm not sure what the the correct technical term is, but the the physical presentation of the text, and in, in the sense, some of it's written very much in a prose style. Some of it reverts to more like a, as a playwright would would write it is 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 a focus for you on the um that that sort of presentation was there a thought behind that
2: yeah so the um the main character, Pip, who is also a little bit of a daydreamer, has these um scenes that she daydreams. Um, sometimes talking to people who aren't there and sometimes imagining how situations would unfold. And the way that she does it is with... It's actually with a film screenplay um, style. Yeah. Um, Because she lives in her imagination a lot. She's she's a book reader. She loves watching films and movies. And that's how she portrays her deepest fears or desires um, in this way. So, yeah, there are, I think... Um, about half a dozen of these film screenplay sections during the book and um i I really liked using that because it just gives you an extra dimension to Pitt's character basically she can't she often can't face up to what's happening right in front of her um, and so she sort of regresses back into this daydream and um yeah, that's what I wanted to get across with him.
0: It's uh, also, uh, is the right term, it's very visually written. Uh, you, it's easy to picture what's happening and what's going on. And I was wondering whether you'd, you'd had thoughts on perhaps a screen adaptation?
2: Yes, um, I would love to be able to say that I could do that. Maybe that's a project for the future. Um, I. Uh, I would love to see it filmed obviously <laughs> um, and I think that it would be um, a great fun film for people to watch um with those Olympic scenes and those hockey scenes um yeah so i could i I could give it a go or some if somebody wants to give it a go, they can contact me and go um, write a screenplay why not
0: oh look i think it's uh, it's made for it it's it's aching for someone to pick it up and Put it in front of television cameras. The way it's written and and uh, put up in the form it is, I like it. Thank you. That would be
2: great.
0: <laughs> uh, now, a bit more about you, FJ. You you mentioned you're a social hockey player. Is this from a young age? Are you one of those people like me that picked up a stick when we were really young, but could never really play? We just loved the game.
2: Yeah, I started when I was ten. Um, played school hockey, club hockey, university. Um, took a few breaks for family reasons and back on the sort of seniors type hockey now all very very sociable and um, I've moved around a lot Um, so I've played for lots of clubs in London England um, Germany and Switzerland so um, yeah and the the great thing about it is is that um, no matter where you are um, hockey players are Exactly the same. So you can walk into any club and you can, even in Switzerland where hockey is a very minor sport, when you say hockey in Switzerland, then it's ice hockey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and people can just just understand that you're there to have a good time, to run around, to get sweaty and then have a beer in the bar afterwards. Same all over the world.
0: You also mention, uh, have a mention of a couple of Australian characters in there. Have you ever been out here? Because your grasp of the grammar is very good.
2: Is it? Okay, that's good. Um, I know Australian hockey players, um, and just a handful, um, who i have met who've been playing over in England, um, and we obviously made some friends when we were over in Sydney. Um, I checked that what I've said was um, was right with <laughs> them. So, um and it's you know, British people and Australian people have a great link. We all know each other. Yeah. We all watched home and away and neighbours when we were growing up, so you know. Well, We've, uh, I've got plenty of people to ask I've got a, a cousin-in-law who's Australian And various other family members So, yeah
0: I think Rack Off You Dag is a classic piece of Australiana <laughs> That one, Rack Off You Yeah,
2: that was, that's that was what the younger members of the, of the hockey club in Munich Go around saying to each other After they've had an Australian like, coach for a while it's so a fun little
0: thing <laughs> But what about you, the author, FJ? Is this your first novel?
2: It's the first novel that I've published, Um, uh, I have written another one which is going to be out probably early next year, um, which is is definitely a young adult one for a little bit of a younger audience than this one, and um, I've got about three or four more ideas for books coming up in the future, so there'll be plenty to read if you like this book, and there is one that I thought of maybe as a sequel to No Number Nine. Um, and I thought I might set it 12 years later, which is obviously when London 2012 happened. <laughs> and then you've got Pip and her friends are all in their 30s, and there are different other things going on there. And there are a couple of younger characters in the book um, who are there, who are now then grown-up men, so they could be there causing trouble as well. So I thought I might have a bit of fun with that.
0: Is this like 7-up, 14-up, 21-up, that sort of thing? <laughs>
2: Yeah, yes. Yeah, like, I like I like skipping forward 12 years so that we can really yeah, get to the next phase of their lives, I think.
0: What drew you to writing? Was it something you were doing, you know, as a, as a job previously or No,
2: I've always had different jobs. Um I just I always wanted to write when I was younger, but I was a bit um I guess because I read a lot of different kinds of books I was a bit overwhelmed by all these amazing writers out there in prizes and selling millions of copies and I just never thought I could do it and then I just thought actually you know what I can do it because I don't have to win prizes I can just write a book that is fun and people read on the beach and they talk about it in the bar and it doesn't have to be um, JK Rowling it can be just you know me selling a few hundred or thousand copies so yeah, I just, just I just approached it as a fun thing and found that I was doing well and people were getting giving me a good response to it, so here it is.
0: Now you've self published this book, have you?
2: Yes, it's self published. Um, so the e copies of it are available on Amazon and okay. um paperback has been published by a really great publisher in England. Um, so it it looks like a really nice, pretty book. It's um, if you put it up against a, a a mainstream published book in a bookshop, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So it's really great. I'm really proud of it.
0: And that's available in Great Britain, I take it, or is it about around the world, or?
2: Yeah, so you can get it all around the world. So as I said, you can get your Kindle copy or your ebook copy from Kobo or Amazon, those two places. That's easy for Australians. Um, the paperback copy you would be able to get from Amazon or Book Depository is another one and they will obviously send it around the world. So it is, it is possible for Australians to buy the paperback. Um, and it can be obviously sent via Amazon to pretty much every country of the world, I think.
0: Okay. So if people want the book, the place to, thing to do is go to Amazon, type in yep. uh, no number nine into the search and up she'll come. That's right. Oh, that's it. So it's a, FJ. a big,
2: big purple book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got the electronic copy. And, um I'm gonna print it out when I've got some more money for the for the uh printer cartridge. I need to replace it, so it it's not a small book, um it's and it's quite uh uh what was it it's it it's not a difficult read, but it's a book that you've gotta read the words to. You can't just skim through it, I wouldn't suggest.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it's it's not intellectual at all. It's not gonna cause you any problems. I've had friends um, who say that they have literally read it in two days. It's a page turner. It's something that they couldn't put down. They chased their children away when they tried to come and say, "Mom, I want food. I'm hungry." Um, and and it is pretty gripping. I think when you get towards the end of it, you just feel like you really, really, really need to carry on reading it. Um, no, but it's a fun. It really is just a fun book. Um, in Europe, I'm going to say buy it for the summer holidays. Um, obviously, you guys don't have your summer now. Uh, <laughs> is I think it's really easy to read. I think people could um, have a lot of fun reading it.
0: Oh, look, and I thoroughly recommend anybody who supports hockey reads it as well. It's uh, we don't have a lot of uh, enough of these sorts of things within our culture. I don't think.
2: No, I mean that was kind of how you and I um first communicated yeah. because you wrote something on the reverse stick about uh I think it was about movies, wasn't it, specifically? Yeah. Um no, there's not a lot. I mean there's a lot of old fashioned stuff. You've got your um, you've got your kind of Elid Blyton and your Centrinians. <laughs> and then and then what else have we got? Um and I just think there are a whole load of hockey players all around the world that would just love reading this um because then they can appreciate how their sport is portrayed and you know we're just we're nice people we're fun people and we have an exciting times for every four years at the olympics and every two years at the world cup so yeah
0: oh absolutely i think we've we've got to embrace more the culture that we have we've never really truly recognized it enough in my opinion but that's all in the future hopefully we'll mm-hmm. get there one day have you got any yeah. ideas for a hockey movie just quietly
2: to make this into a hockey movie
0: oh or no any hockey movie in particular <laughs> just if we if we got a story out there we could just suddenly thrust up as a movie I'm not sure no. that we have no I don't
2: know really no, I'm
0: oh, not sure it's a discussion for another time FJ Look, yeah. thank you very much for joining us today it is a, a fabulous read um Get onto Amazon and uh buy the book, get on what's uh Kindle and Nobo is it? Kobo, again. Kobo KF right? KF. Oh, yeah. Okay, and uh you can you can download the copy onto the computer, you can order the hard copy and keep it in your bookshelf. In fact I might do that in the future. Probably cost me less to buy the the uh the hardback copy or the, the paperback copy than buy a new printer cartridge, so I think it might be the way to go. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much again, FJ, and good luck with the future, and I look forward to the next book as well.
2: Thank you very much,
0: John. You're listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and that was author FJ Campbell. She's written a book called No Number Nine. Check it out um, on your Kindles, and you can get the book too through Amazon. No Number Nine. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it, too. And especially if you've got um, someone in your family. Christmas is only, what, seven or eight months away now, Liz, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Just make sure they're not number nine.
0: Yeah, that's it. Uh, But uh, it's a great read. I really did enjoy it. And uh, good luck to FJ in getting that book out there. Now, um, we should talk about a few things that are going on in the world of hockey. Now, our hockey club, Liz is just about to get involved in the world of turf, isn't it? We're it is indeed, to, yes. And yes, we're indeed. very happy about this.
1: It's only been 40 plus years in the making, <laughs> but we're nearly there.
0: Yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah. it has been a very long time. I've heard the the stories and the rumours and the ideas and seen pictures and plans and finally it's coming together. But I'll, so this is why I want to run this story past you because you know how hard these things can be on clubs. Crawford Group uh, is going into administration and Crawford Group is a... a company in Ireland that does things like lay artificial turfs and they'd had a contract with um, to resurface, the uh, replace the pitch at Havelock Park and work was supposed to get underway in early March and be ready for a new turf on May 5th but that's not going to happen. Um The group, who were also building the Luke and Harry's Athletic track adjacent to the pitch, have stopped work with immediate effect and it means there's no chance of getting the pitch completed in time and has left the EY Hockey League working group to find an alternative pitch. Um, So UCD Island's own hockey venue is not currently available due to preparatory work for the pitch replacement so that's not suitable to hold the event the EYHL finals as such the working group contacted three rock rovers who hosted in 2017 and they're in a position to make a facility available to Hockey Island as a backup. Now that's all very sad and tragic but that's the reality of it sometimes isn't it? I mean how would we feel if suddenly halfway through the process where would that leave us if the contract that just turned up to oh,
1: I mean, it's a terrible situation, isn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many people who work so hard around the club, and um, they, they do. They spend so much time unpaid. You know, a lot of it's thankless sort of work. And to have something like that happen when you're you're already into the process, I mean, that'd just be heartbreaking. So, um, sounds like they need to get in contact with uh, former international umpire Murray Grime, who's got a little business doing those sorts of things, oh, and done. see if he can actually help him out. Um, I know with our turf it's been a a long time coming and there's been a lot of people behind it um, working away in the shadows there who spend an inordinate amount of time um, and a hell of a lot of effort in actually getting to the stage where they can just meet with people, where they can get plans underway, where they can do all the groundwork before you actually get to turn the first sod, if you like. So it, it must be heartbreaking for those Irish guys to be in that situation.
0: It also got me thinking a bit more broadly... Have we um, invested too much in into turf hockey? Uh, are we have have we slightly <laughs> lost the idea about what clubs can be and what club and and the best way to utilise the money available instead of because all the concentration for any club seems now to be get a turf, get a turf, get a turf, but turfs are hugely high maintenance uh, beasts to to own and run um, you know is is there a better model we can come up with that allows hockey maybe To still be played on grass at a higher level Not necessarily at international level For sure if you want to play international hockey You've got to have turf facilities and all that sort of stuff But perhaps when you come down to local club level leagues That yes some games will be played if the club has a turf But if the club doesn't have a turf We can still play games on a good enough grass surface
1: Yeah and I think that's the key to it isn't it It's getting that good enough grass surface I think there's a couple around uh, our area Which we're lucky enough to have a very good one at our Club itself, yep. but I think there's too many other clubs who've got issues with their surfaces and that sort of thing. Uh, perhaps aren't able to spend the money to have somebody maintain um, and and grow the grass in the right way, and you know all that sort of stuff as well. But I think you're right. Even if they were just, um, how should we put it, exhibition matches, it would be good to see the top level players get down and play on some grass and that sort of thing. Obviously, if you want the best quality hockey played. An artificial surface is going to get you there. If you want to develop your club to have those players who are go on, going to go on and achieve the highest levels, you know, your Commonwealth Games, your Olympics, your World Cups, those sort of things, you have to have that surface. There's no doubt about it. But I think if we look at the subcontinent, I, you know, it's an area where they struggled for many years and they consequently dropped away from the lead group within the hockey fraternity. Um personally, I love grass hockey. But, I also like to watch the highest standard of hockey played on the best surface available as well
0: yeah, I totally agree with you there I, I you know as much fun as it might be to see some of these internationals come down and have a whack around <laughs> on stephen street it It doesn't make the most conducive product that's, that we're trying to sell, and no. it's far more exciting on turf at that level
1: at that level, but uh, you know I mean that's a good support idea for clubs and that sort of thing as well is to get those sort of things happening so that you know they can get. Um, larger numbers to their clubs. You know, they can make some money over. You know, selling their pies and chips and coffees and all that sort of stuff as well, and their beers and those sorts of things too, and actually have a club. Um, you know, retain some sort of um com camaraderie. Um. I, I, you know I remember the old days when it was great. you used to walk into a club room, and there was the you know the the old fellas there, the young kids, and the top level all hanging around it It seems to be far more fragmented nowadays and has been for a number of decades i believe
0: hey, while we 're talking about clubs, I saw this and it 's a story that comes from uh, w a today a local online newspaper, but it got me thinking because we're talking about clubs. FIFA planning special meeting to discuss new competitions. Now, this is FIFA, the biggest sporting beast on the, the globe. Don't worry about the Olympic Games. This is the number one, right? They're going to hold a special meeting to discuss ambitious plans for a revamped version of the Club World Cup.
1: A so, Club World club, Cup?
0: Now, they already have a Club World Cup, but it's it now the idea has got through they're going to promote an enlarged Club World Cup and make it a special event. Right. Which is really interesting, because at the same time they're doing that, what's hockey doing? It's almost the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, the plans were initially discussed at the last FIFA Council meeting in Bogota. Earlier this month, FIFA President Gianno Infantino confirmed that investors had shown interest in backing an expanded World Club World Cup, but did not comment um, I think it's a competition that would uh, it would be an annual event in which seven clubs, usually continental champions, compete in a knockout format, and it would involve expanding it to 24 teams and staging it over two every four years. So it will become like they could throw it into the year. There's not a World Cup or mm. an a or the European Championship.
1: Mm. I Interesting that's... concept, isn't it? Well, Interesting concept, and uh, the big question, of course, in hockey is who's going to pay for it.
0: Well, that's always a question.
1: You don't have the money. You don't have the money. It's hard to get these things, you know, underway. And
0: we've got to find ways to bridge that gap between the almost amateur status of our sport to the professional level. Yep. Because that's what the athletes deserve. I think that's what the sport deserves. And it's as much our responsibility, unfortunately, as hockey people to be doing that as it is the, the sport's governing body. That's for sure.
1: Yes, with all the politics that are happening within uh, FIH, though, I couldn't see something like that happening for some years to come. Which leads us into...
0: Speaking of which, disciplinary decision on FIH President Dr Narendra Dhruv Batra. This is from April 24th, 2018. Let me read you the whole transcript of this announcement. The FIH Replacement Disciplinary Commissioner has concluded a disciplinary proceeding against the President of the FIH, Dr. Narendra Dhruv Batra, regarding a Facebook post on 19 June 2017 on his personal account in which English law enforcement authorities were accused of acting in an appropriate manner, in an inappropriate manner, in relation to the summoning of Indian player Siddharth Singh during the Hero Hockey World League semi-final London 2017. Dr. Batra regrets his actions and has publicly apologised for his emotional statement. Dr. Batra was given a written warning. He shall pay an undisclosed amount to a sports charity institution and bear the costs of the disciplinary proceeding. He is not restricted in any way to pursue his functions as the FIH President. Whack! That's the sound of a wet lettuce slapping someone in the face.
1: Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't sound too strong, does it? I'm just being careful what I'm saying <laughs> with that.
0: <laughs> Look, we, I, I'm on record with my opinions, um, and Matt is too, so, and, you know, I think, I, I said after this episode that happened and the, the tweets that came out, which were quite frankly quite funny, I mean they were that crazy they were laughable and
1: um, was it up there with UFOs at Roswell
0: oh yeah I don't know close to it I might have been standing behind the grassy you know.
1: oh um, okay
0: <laughs> could have been I don't know um, but so I said then look I thought that, that he had to go but he didn't and they said oh we're going to have this disciplinary meeting and now the, the you know 19th of June 2017 we're nearly 12 months this is April 24 so it's taken them months and months and what's disappointed me most, I'm I'm prepared to let that slide so he didn't step down because of it oh that's the way these things work sometimes but what most disappoints me is a period of time when hockey really needed the president to be standing up and showing his face and and being the president and being strong and leading he was running off going getting elected to the Indian Olympic Committee and I, I, I think that makes his position untenable now Uh, what happens from here on in we haven't seen nothing since the whole jason mccracken thing went off just before christmas and three or four months later this comes out perhaps dr patch will now emerge and we'll see what happens but anyway more on that to come no doubt les wouldn't you think
1: oh i believe there's a little bit uh yeah more in that news story than we can deal with tonight, that's for sure.
0: Is now when I announce that I'm going to officially run at the next biannual. Oh,
1: I think it's as good a time as any.
0: All, all I need is a nomination of two nations, I believe. I'll have to read the constitution again. And I could, I could be elected.
1: Well, I think I if you got yourself that. off to the Asian Youth Olympic Games qualifier and uh, did some lobbying there with, say, Chinese Taipei or Cambodia, there's a chance.
0: Oh, yeah. Actually, that's, that's the way to go. I've heard that's the way to go. As, as, I'll have to wait and see on that one. We'll see what happens in the future. Uh, what else is going on? Um, the, oh, Speaking of the FIH, the FIH Hockey Foundation has appointed its first executive director. Um, Mike Joyce will return to the hockey after working at the IOC. He'll be the... Uh, the first executive director of the Hockey Foundation. The appointment was made with the intention of creating a new strategy and fundraising activities to enhance the provisions of the Hockey Foundation and the development projects it will support. Uh, Since 2002, the FIH has made a considerable financial contribution to the Hockey Foundation following the London 2012 Olympics. And efforts have made been made to increase its activities and its independence. Uh, One of the key partners is the Hockey Museum. Um, so that's one of the sorts of projects. It's backing up. It's doing a, a few other things as well. The foundation. There's a link on the FIH website if you want to find out more. But good luck um, to Mike there with the hockey foundation and uh, keep doing good work for hockey. Uh, let's see what else have we got to go through. you Got anything you want to talk about, Lance?
1: No, I don't actually.
0: You don't. <laughs> How about hockey fives? Here's one for you. The future of the future of the Olympics. I meant to bring this up earlier. Youth Olympics. Because um, the IOC president Thomas Bach has just been in India, and he's been going, he's been a guest of uh, Indian hockey at a mixed fives team exhibition tournament. Which, um, if oh,
1: any loose tweeting coming out of there?
0: No, no, no loose tweeting whatsoever. Not yet. Not yet. Um, it's interesting because Dr. Batra has just been elected to the Indian Olympic Association. He's been asked to go to. Um, an exhibition tournament, rather than go to the Youth Olympic Games qualifiers and see it there in the, in the actual Olympic mode, um, is this the future of Olympic hockey fives?
1: It'd be disappointing if it was, wasn't it? In my book, in my opinion, I think the eleven-a-side game is the pure game. Yep. Yeah. Um, can we imagine in ten years, fifteen years time, FJ Campbell have to write a book? No, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or eleven. I mean, it's getting ridiculous, isn't it? Isn't it? It, you know, you go to these tournaments, they take away 18 of the best players, fit players, at any one time. Um, you're seeing the cream of the crop. I mean, to reduce the numbers to five, you know, your rotations, all sorts of stuff are going to change. You're not going to see the cream of the crop playing for many minutes out there at a time, I wouldn't imagine. Um, I mean, is it indoor or is it... I mean, who are we trying to appease here? Or please, I don't know. What, why?
0: There's What's some, it about? There's some very good questions there, Liz. I, I think it's a, there's a revolution going on inside the Olympic movement at the moment, and hockey is one of those sports that's been slightly slid sideways. Uh, 11 a side, big uh, coaching staff, a lot of people involved, and I think they're just trying to cut the numbers down which is sad, because apparently, you know, other sports have just walked into the Olympics and have no association with them at
1: all. BMX bike riding. Uh, it's supposed to be about man's achievements, not machinery and equipment and that sort of Ooh, stuff. It, it, you know, that, that's my take on it. Oh. That's 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 where I'm coming from. Okay, equestrian, you're in charge of the horse, you BMX bike riding, I guess you're in charge of the bike, but those are the best equipment... Automatically have an advantage. And I think it should get, come back to man's individual abilities.
0: So you're, you'd be a, a an athletics purist in that sense then. You love yep. all that sort of hammer throw and the
1: I love all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't like the fact that in swimming, we saw engineering technology overtake Ooh. the athlete's abilities in regards to some of the skin suits and that sort of stuff that were out there. Um, okay, in hockey we may have a certain player or group of players get their hands on a piece of technology that might be slightly better in some ways. It then becomes available to everybody and the playing field levels out again. But really, reducing the numbers on the field, I mean, how would we think soccer would appeal to people, football, would appeal to people if we reduced it from 11 a side to 5 a side and we reduced the size of the field and and all that sort of stuff. I bet I would put money on it that stadiums would be burnt to the ground.
0: Yeah, I think you're right too.
1: Now, I think most hockey fanatics, even, are uh, more level-headed than that. We wouldn't yeah. see those sort of extreme ideas come to fruition.
0: We'd write a stern letter to the committee.
1: Or an email. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We might drag aside the club president and have a quiet word in his shell like. Yeah, buy him a beer at the same time so he listen to you. <laughs>
0: it's a good. These are the ways we do things in hockey, isn't it?
1: It's far more gentrified, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, it's good to be a bit, bit casual. You know, not casual, that's not the word for it, but we don't want to be burning stuff down. No. We have enough trouble building
1: it. That's <laughs> very true. And in Ireland. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm going on a piece of feedback this week uh, Liz, that we received from Rob Abbott or actually I received from Rob Abbott we have got the old reverse stick in there as well It was about a job coming up at uh, Hockey Australia and Rob suggested I would be the perfect man for the general manager's strategy and game development
1: Okay, how many countries do you need to back you with this one?
0: Oh no, none This is my own country, this is in Australia Now it's a new role, it's vacant it's uh, the executive level management position with senior level responsibility for driving the national strategic agenda concerning game development that will increase participation in hockey. Based at the Hockey Australia offices in Melbourne, mm-hmm. this role requires a strong focus on stakeholder engagement with leading the identification and delivery of strategic programs designed to develop and expand opportunities for current and new hockey participants.
1: You're not going to get more people playing if it's five a side. <laughs> no.
0: No, that's true. Um, I, I'll, I, if I got this job, no, we won't go to the key functions. Let's let's go to where's the list of uh, what I what I need to show. I can't find it now. Would you know uh, Duties and responsibilities, results areas, strategic engagement.
1: Does it have KPIs, John? Uh, I bet it does. They're Paris. a favourite. KPIs.
0: Ah, uh, perform the duties uh, expected to achieve executive level management and all that sort of stuff, exhibiting the organisation's values in a consistent manner, I've got to do all that sort of stuff. Uh, I don't have um, a degree, so you know I don't fulfill that job criteria. Do you think I could shape the next phase in development of Hockey Australia's coaching and officiating strategy?
1: Oh, I think you could.
0: How about uh, contribute positively at executive level to the successful leadership of the organisation?
1: Uh, I think you could.
0: What does that mean, being nice to everybody on the board?
1: It means saying what you need to say without upsetting people.
0: Okay. Uh, Shape and lead the participation and game development strategy within Hockey Australia and ensure future participation targets are met.
1: As long as you didn't back five aside, I'd back you.
0: Oh, beautiful. Um, Key result areas, is that...
1: They're like KPIs.
0: KPIs? Strategic programs, game development, national participation, game plans, social, recreational and innovative game formats, coaching pathways, educational and development, officiating pathways, education, development, financial and budget management. Phew, that's a lot of stuff.
1: Ooh, I have trouble balancing the chequebook.
0: Yeah, I struggle in that area as well. I don't think I'll be applying for that job, Rob, unfortunately. Because uh, I'm busy with my campaign as the FIH president
1: Absolutely I'll, Absolutely.
0: That's the big cherry I reckon that's, that's where I can make the most impact
1: Yep, being backed Dubai. by Chinese Taipei And yeah. Cambodia oh, Now just the, on that job yeah. Perhaps um, yeah, I mean it would mean losing him from our club But Simon Orchard Might be somebody who we should Push towards that sort of Development role
0: Umpire development
1: No, 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 the betterment of the whole game.
0: Yeah, would he be interested? I don't know. I'll ask him. Yeah, do so. When you're you're giving that advice to the uh, young boys playing twos for Fremantle, you could just sort of give him the same advice at the same time, couldn't
1: you? Slip a suggestion in.
0: You just shout it across the field to him. (laughs) That would be the way to do it, wouldn't it? I think that's just about it for this week, Les. Thanks for coming in.
1: Mate, it's been a pleasure as usual. Enjoyed for coming in. Um, Likewise.
0: Oh, we'll see you Saturday afternoon, won't we? For another win. Another win? Two from two so far. I'm doing all right, Yeah,
1: country trip this week. (laughs) Country trip, coming (laughs) on, (laughs) mate. Thanks, mate. I'll catch you soon.